Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Drinks with Dan. I'm your host, Dan. And alongside me, I have special guest and first-time guest, Nick Angelis. Uh, Nick and I were stationed together in Clearwater, Florida. We met in California, and uh, he's joining me this evening. Nick, how are you? I'm good, man. How about yourself? Man, I'm living the life. I'm living the life. It's been a long time since uh, we, you and I have uh, had a beer together. I know, um, right? <laughs> it's funny. It's too bad we're not recording this on a Friday because I was thinking about this yesterday and we were talking about it. I was like, man... Friday's afternoon, we were always out there by the uh, E-Club having a beer after work. <laughs> right, we flooded quite a few kegs out there. <laughs> oh, man, the, it was a good price that we paid there, too. Uh, I like the the free the freeness of it. Yeah, man, I miss that place a lot. Yeah, so uh, th- that was probably the last time I seen you, actually, was when we were stationed there in Florida. Um, yeah. So that would have been, what, 2015 I left? No, because I transferred in 2014, so you had to left either then or 2013, I imagine, right? No, 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 I was there. I definitely left there, like, February of 15. I thought, oh, didn't, did you go to IDHS school then? No, because I, I, I mean, I have been to IDHS school, but I, I transferred to Port Arthur in 2014. That's right, you went to MSU Port Arthur, that's right. No, well, you did get to Clearwater a few months before I did, so yeah. I guess that makes sense. So, um, so you went to IDHS school. For those of you who don't know, um, Nick and I went to Corman School around the same time as each other. We started in the same class, but something happened. Guess we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, so we were stationed there in Florida. Um, we were both Corman, so we had the same job. We were both medics there. Uh, I got out of the Coast Guard. Nick decided he's going to be a lifer and stay in. Right, Nick? Uh, I mean, I haven't decided about the lifer yet, but I mean, I'm still in, so there's that. <laughs> um, and then he actually met his wife through the Coast Guard. She was also she wasn't a medic, but she was um, she was a mechanic, of, if I remember right, MK. Yeah, that's right. She was a K three. Um, and then met his wife. had had a child. He has a little girl named Olivia, right? She's yeah, got to be right. what four? Yes, yeah, she's four. All five. She turns five in June. Damn, man, time really goes by real real quick. I know it does. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't even know where to start with you, Nick. You and I go way, way back. <laughs> um, I guess it's fucking. We uh started. We met in Petaluma, right? With uh, you, me, Nicole. Christian. Yeah, I think EMT school is where we all met each other. Yep, and then uh, it just happened to be that we were stationed in Clearwater after that. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and then we and I just spent a lot of time together back back then. Uh, we, oh god, it would be like Friday and Saturday night. We were actually doing something, whether it was drinking beer at work or drinking beer after work or uh, going to Dunedin or Clearwater Beach. Yeah, we 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 drink a lot of beer, that's for sure. <laughs> Remember that dive bar across the street from my house, man? We were like. The place where we'd go and dance on the the bar top. <laughs> yeah, I do, dude. I just thought of that for the first time in God knows five years. Oh um, man, God, there's so many good memories and bad memories from that place. Um, I don't even know where to start. Like I said, uh, I, I, I guarantee I might as well bring it up now. I guarantee you're going to talk about the toothbrush story. When you said my house, I literally thought about the toothbrush story. 
<laughs> Go ahead, Nick. Tell tell the story. So, for those of you who don't know, Dan used to be married to I don't even remember her name. Uh, not important. Yeah, not important. <laughs> so, anyways, Dan was going through this ugly divorce, and uh, he was going through a rough time. So I went over to his house. Uh, while his ex-wife was moving all of her stuff out of the house and, you know, trying to be there for support and stuff. Me and Dan are sitting on the couch playing video games, drinking beer, and Dan gets up and goes to the bathroom, and he he comes out of the bathroom, and all I hear is, that bitch. <laughs> and I was like, what, buddy, what's wrong? And he's like, she took my fucking toothbrush holder. <laughs> She took the kitchen knife I didn't care about. She took, like, a dresser don't care about. But I lost my shit when she took my toothbrush holder. Yeah, it was, uh... And I was dying laughing. <laughs> it, man, you had to be there because it was freaking hilarious. So, like, I, like I was, I was just so mad because she took my toothbrush out of the toothbrush holder, put the toothbrush holder, put my toothbrush back down on the counter where the thing was. <laughs> And I lost my damn mind. And you forgot to say, what, so this happened, it would have been July or August, in the dead of Florida heat, and Ant got into my air conditioner and fried the air conditioner. So she's oh, yeah, moving out. Right. she was moving out, and the house had to have been 108 degrees. Like, it was hot. We were drenched in sweat, and the fight, like, so Nick came over. We didn't help lift a thing for my ex Samantha to go like to leave. Like we didn't she wanted anything moved, she had to do it herself. We were not getting off the couch. We were just there to say, Yep, okay, you can take that, yep, okay, take that whatever she wanted she had. But we were not helping her lift anything. And it was hundred and eight degrees inside that house. Sweat and balls. Didn't do a damn thing we played video games. I think we were playing like the Wii or Xbox or something. Yeah, and, I think uh, we were playing Wii. We might have been like bowling or something. I don't remember. Um, but I just lost my mind when uh, when she said when she took my toothbrush holder. Uh, but I also remember after that happened, I went through a dark time where I started drinking pretty heavily. I remember texting Nick and I said, "Help me, <laughs> save me!" Oh my God! That's when you lost your car. <laughs> I went out drinking, and I lived in St. Pete, about a mile from the downtown area, which was pretty not far at all. And I remember drinking, and I remember leaving the bar at, like, 2 in the morning. I was like, I can't drive home. Like, I'm way too drunk, so I'm going to walk home. Not a big deal. It's 2 in the morning. I'll just walk home. So I walk home, wake up the next morning, probably 10 or 11 o'clock, and I texted Nick for whatever reason. I said, like, save me. (laughs) Yeah, I remember getting that text. It was just like, help me, and that was it. (laughs) <laughs> and I called, and you didn't pick up. So I called again, and you finally picked up. And I'm like, what's up, man? And you're like, I don't know where my car is. <laughs> and I'm like, where are you? And you're like, I'm in my house. <laughs> oh, that was that the night uh, that you were at your house? And uh, and you had that girl that ate the taco meat? Was that the girl? Was that the day? <laughs> taco girl. <laughs> This is the best podcast ever so far. Oh, Taco Girl. So that might have been the same day. No, no, it couldn't have been. I wouldn't. I wouldn't have made her walk to my house. I'm a gentleman. It couldn't I don't have been. Remember. 
But so that story, that one was we went. I went out to St. Pete again, and I was at like five bucks or McDettons or some bar like that. Met a girl, and I um, took her home and fell asleep or whatever. I wake up the next morning and I had leftover taco shells and taco meat in my fridge. I wake up the next morning and it's gone. I'm like, this girl ate my taco meat. (laughs) (laughs) And like, if you looked at it, you'd be like, this looks terrible. Like, it looks absolutely disgusting. It was like just plain meat in like a bowl. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good times. Good times. Oh, man. So, glad you were there to experience that with me, Nick. Yeah. Uh, and then, I guess the last story I could think of off the top of my head would have been uh, the Chickaboom Room in Dunedin. You remember that um, day? Yeah, Kelly's Chickaboom Boom Room. Whatever that place was. That place was a mess every time we go there. I that was the place that had the outdoor patio, and then the other side was the drag show, right? Yeah, so I think there was, like, three bars, because there was an outdoor patio, which was really chill, and then they had, like, a... No, I a bar inside. Bar. Well, there was a bar inside, and then they had, like, the the um, the um drag show part. Um, but we, for, for the record, we spent most of the time outside, just to make that clear. Hey, um, drag shows are a good time. But that's what I was about to say. We did spend our good time at the drag show. I can remember taking shots from a cross-dresser's boob. I mean... Just throwing that out there. Um, that was a. Uh, I went through a, a drinking problem there, as I'm drinking a beer now with you. Um, but uh, I've definitely uh, calmed my ways in my elder years. So, yeah, you went, um, you went through a bumpy road there for a while. It was good times. It was great times. It was great times, but it was also a bad time. But it was good. Uh, I don't regret it. I learned a lot from it. That's yeah. Great. So, so Nick, after you uh, you were left Clearwater, you went to Port Arthur, where you were uh, like a clinic corpsman there, right? Kinda. It was just me and uh, HS3, so there was no doc there. It was like being independent duty, but not independent duty at the same time. And you did four years there? Yeah, I did a full tour there. Oh, I, didn't, I, thought it was, I thought you didn't do four. I can't believe it's been that long. So, while you were there, you went to independent duty school, right? Yeah, once I got orders to my current unit, um, they sent me in, on, like, a pipeline school to IDHS school. So I never went to IDHS school. I went to AVT school, which was not anything like that. So for those who are, are listening that have no idea what the military is, can you give a two-minute spiel about what IDHS school was about? Yeah, so IDHS school is uh, independent duty health services technician school, and that's where you go to – Learn how to be by yourself on a boat. They teach you uh, a bunch of bunch of new techniques and a bunch of new ways of doing things, and uh, it, they teach you a lot of administrative paperwork that you got to do all by yourself. I mean, because when people get sick out there in the middle of the ocean, you're the only medical provider they have, so you got to figure out ways to do things with limited resources. So that's what that school is all about. And how long was the school? Uh, it was like four and a half months. So four and a half months. So <clears throat> excuse me. Um. So you never. So you go. So after that, you got orders to a boat, right? Yeah. So is that where you're currently at now? Yeah, I'm on the uh, Coast Guard Cutter Decisive. And that's out of Florida. Yeah, that's out of Pensacola. Of Pensacola, and you grew up not too far from there, so it's pretty much home then, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I grew up like 30 minutes north of Pensacola, so I consider Pensacola my hometown. Yeah, so I guess backing up, you bought a house when you were in Texas. Do you still have the house? Uh, yeah, we did. We actually listed it on the market the other day, and uh, we've already accepted an offer. So we're trying. We're in the process of selling it right now. Now, are you going to buy a new house in the Pensacola area or somewhere else? Uh, I'll probably end up renting for a while. I don't know if I'm going to buy here because I'll probably transfer next summer just because I made HS1 the other day. Well, congratulations on that. So that's an E6 Thank for those you. of you who don't know. So it's a pretty big deal. Congrats. Thank you. So you get a nice little bump in pay on that one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so good for you, man. Um, so you just got back from deployment, is that right? Yeah, that's right. How long was that one? It was about two months. And where'd you go? Uh, we went to Mayport, Florida. Uh, we spent about, we spent about a good month there, three weeks to a month, uh, doing this thing called TISTA. It stands for Tailored Ships. I don't know. Some kind of training. Uh, basically you go <laughs> and you do, you do like, uh, you do drills and you get graded on how well, uh, you do with the drills. And so the different types of drills, uh, that do damage control drills, which, uh, it's the, what, what your crew does to combat, um, like fire or flooding or, you know, how they, how they respond to certain casualties on board a ship. And there's a bunch of different drills into, there's navigation drills, there's seamanship drills, there's medical drills that you have to do. And so we spent a good three or four weeks there doing that and making sure all of our training teams were up to standard. And then so if I remember all, right, so if I remember right, uh, like a, a team from like, Headquarters, or whatever, comes to your boat, and you guys get underway with them, and they they're the ones that actually grade you. It's like an outside source, is that right? Yeah, that's right. It's a, it's a complete outside source that uh, they have. A, they're called a float training organizations, ATO teams, and uh, they're active duty Coast Guard members, and that's all they do is go around and and grade people and critique them and help them. So what this is all about is it's not so much whether your crew can pass a drill or fail a drill. It's about making sure the people who are training them, so making sure your training teams are effective. Because if your training teams aren't effective, your the crew won't be able to pass drills successfully. So luckily we passed and we did very well. So we moved on from there. So um, that that's a pretty big deal for you because you're in charge of the medical team. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I'm in charge of the medical training team. So – so for those of you who don't know, like if you get injured or whatever, like if the boat takes on fire or whatever, um, you're going to have a bunch of casualties, you know, people that are injured. So Nick is going to be the one that's in charge of making sure that those people get to where they need to go to get fixed ultimately. So it's a pretty big, pretty big deal for you, man. Congrats. Thank you. So you spent a week in Mayport, or sorry, a few weeks in Mayport, and then did you guys go out after that? Yeah, we went out and we did, uh, we patrolled around for a little while and then we pulled into Key West. Um, were you the boat that just pulled into cocaine or is that a different one? No, that wasn't us, man. Uh, I remember, uh, maybe it wasn't Key West, maybe it was Miami that they pulled into. I know one cutter down there just pulled in a bunch of cocaine, um, recently. Uh, I guess it wasn't you guys. Yeah. We pulled into Key West and then, uh, that was our first port call and then, we went and did another, uh, we patrolled some more in the Gulf of Mexico, and then we pulled into Galveston for a port call, and then we came back. So you didn't actually go down to, like, South America or anything like that? You guys stayed pretty much in the Gulf the whole time? Yeah, we stayed in, like, the Atlantic and then in the Gulf. Yeah. 
Well, that's, that's pretty cool, man. <clears throat> so, oh, man. Excuse me, I'm like just trying to have a beer here as I, as I talk. What are you drinking today? I am drinking a Shinerbach. I, I, that really doesn't surprise me, Nick. That really doesn't surprise me. <laughs> that's the best, man. Um, I can remember <laughs> another Shiner story. We were drinking Shiner Thanksgiving. You remember Thanksgiving at your house and what happened that day? Um, I I was really drunk, so I remember parts of Thanksgiving. So I wasn't drunk because I was on duty, and I got a phone call that day. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, that's right. You had to go to the Bahamas that day. Yeah, we were Thanksgiving Day. We're sitting at Nick's house, and there's probably oh god, there's your sister was there. Uh, we had at least twenty people there. It was a lot. A lot. We were playing cards or something around the the table. We were. Like, I wasn't drunk because I had duty, and I was like, just in case something happened, God forbid, um, I need to be, like, semi-coherent. Um, Tabitha was pretty much gone, but she wanted to go with me. <laughs> um, we all wanted to go to the Bahamas. <laughs> but, like, we couldn't all get on the plane looking the way we were. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. So, um, yeah, that was a short end Thanksgiving. I just remember, like, throwing the house key at you guys and said, take care of Cooper, i got to go. The next thing I know, like an hour later, I'm in the air going to the Bahamas for a plane crash or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, Oh, man, that was another good story. Um, What kind of beer are you drinking? Oh, so this is a a Pennsylvania beer, actually. I've had it a couple times on here because I bought a case of them. It's uh, the Sour Monkey by Victory. It's uh, It's an ale, but it's a sour. So it's got a little punch to it. Um, I was thinking, of, I actually, I was actually thinking about you a couple months ago. I was in Texas and I had a Shiner, and I was like, "Man, Nick was the one that introduced me to Shiner. Like, I, I owe him big thanks." Yeah, Shiner's so, good, man. Yeah, I went to, uh, well, I went to the Dallas playoff game, and uh, I was staying in um, Fort Worth, so I had it there. So, <coughs> so what else is new with you, man? Not much. Uh, still trying to get adjusted to being on a boat. It's a big difference of being in a clinic, that's for sure. Yeah, so I mean, with the clinic, it was nice because we had, we had, you know, the we had what one doc, a dentist, and two PAs that were there. Yeah, I mean, if we were fully staffed, we had, uh, we had the APA, we had the flight surgeon, and we had one civilian PA and then one dentist if we were fully staffed. Yeah. That I mean, was there when we were there. Well, well, I was just about to say we had a really shitty like six months there when we didn't have a flight surgeon, and we yeah. only had we only had uh, assistant APA, which he was busy as hell. Um, yeah, sure. He's but, back there again, by the way. I had no idea. So he's back in Clearwater. Yeah. So when when he transferred out of Clearwater, he went to uh, Miami. Yeah, he went to Air Station Opelika. And then, or Air Station Miami, which is in Oklahoma, Florida. And then he went, he made Lieutenant Commander, and now he's back at Clearwater. Well, I did know that his replacement got underway out in California on like the Washi or something. Um, which I, like I read an article about, I don't know if you saw it, but, uh, he, they did a whole write up about him going, being the, um, flight surgeon, like APA out in the, on Washi, cause they were going to like Japan or something. Wow, I didn't know that. I'll have to send it to you. I think I think Sherelle posted it. I'll have to look. Okay. Um, 
But yeah. So I, I so I guess he's not the flight surgeon. He's back as the APA there then. Yeah, he's APA. It's the the flight surgeon happens to be my old DMOA who was in who was at Sector Houston Galveston when I was at Port Arthur. Are you going to try to go back to Clearwater, Nick? Is that what I'm hearing? No, uh, definitely not. Definitely don't want to go back to Clearwater. Or St. Pete. You're going to go to St. Pete and go on a boat? <laughs> no, man. Hopefully this is my only boat. <laughs> uh, boat life isn't for you, man, huh? I mean, it's okay. I, I love being independent duty. Um, it's great. It's it's one of the best types of duty, in my opinion, for a corpsman to get out there and figure stuff out on your own. I mean. It, it really, it really makes you think. It really makes you good at your craft. Um, you got to be motivated to keep up on all your daily routines because you don't have that direct oversight like you had in the clinic. You know, I mean, we had supervisors all the time making sure we were doing things, and I don't have that on the boat, so I have to be on top of myself to make sure I'm doing all those things I have to do. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, we did have that, like if we wanted to give a prescription of something and they wanted to change it a little bit, like they were right there to change it, whereas on the boat, it's all you. So. Yeah, I mean, like, my I mean, my first week on board, I had to get somebody off the boat. And, oh, wow. Uh, like, so yeah. you medevac somebody, basically? I mean, we didn't have to medevac them. We small boated them off, but it was, uh, we couldn't. Um, so there's, like, you remember they have, like, on-duty flight surgeons you can call and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. I remember calling them from the airplane, and that was a shit show. Yeah, well, so I had I tried to call my DMOA, who was out of the office until further notice. So that didn't work. <laughs> I tried I tried emailing the clinic. I tried emailing and calling two other Coast Guard clinics, and none of them responded to my emails. None of them got back to me on the phone. Um, so I was like, "Fuck it, I guess I'm out here by myself." So. I'm just going to make the call. <laughs> and that, um, when you're in that situation, you'd rather be safe than sorry. It's either you keep them on the boat, they get worse, and it's your butt, or you get them off the boat, and they didn't need to be, but either way, they're in better care. So Yeah, everything worked out, and uh, the person's better now. So, I mean, everything worked out, and and I'm glad it did. Yeah. Well, that's good for you. It sounds like you made the, the right call on that one. But I have to disagree with you. I really – as much as I didn't like AV, like aerospace medicine school, I really think an uh, air station is a place for corpsmen to be, man. Like, I, there are places for people to, like corpsmen to be on boats, but if you want like the the thrill, then I think an air station is the thrill place. I don't think uh, like the boat life just isn't it for me. It's a little too slow for me. I think. I, I feel like it is and it isn't. Like I mean, like at the air station, we saw a lot of different you know, detailed cases. Um, on the boat, it's mainly, you know, your typical clinical sick call stuff, you know, your sore throats, you know, my, my back hurts, my knee hurts, that kind of stuff. But every now and then you get a case and it's like we had to, I had to take a, I took a migrant on board and uh, we were taking a bunch of migrants on board and I get a call that said, uh, they needed me to go to another boat to assess a patient to see if he was safe to travel. And so I get, I leave my boat, go to their boat. Um, and cause all they had was an EMT. They didn't have a doc. So I, me and the EMT did a full assessment and we were able to load him up on a litter and transfer him to the boat. And the guy was like a zombie. I mean, like he was not alert. Dehydration. 
Yeah, he was like, I feel like he was severely dehydrated. Um, he was having like some seizures and stuff. But so we're on the small boat coming back with him getting ready to go back to my boat. And I'm like, what am I going to do for this guy? Right. You know, like, like, I can't talk to him. I don't speak his language. The, we had a translator, but the, he he was so incoherent, the translator couldn't make out what he was saying. So uh, I gave him an IV, gave him a couple bags of fluids, and he came right back around. So, I mean, I was lucky. So that's a, that's a great thing to bring up, especially in today's political age. So you pick up a migrant. What is What is the process for you and for the boat? Like, can you provide medical care? Like, what do you do in that situation? Can you go into that? Yeah, I can. Um, so, yes and no. So, I can – it's the same as it was at the clinic for us. So, they're civilians. So, as a civilian, you're only allowed to treat them as an EMT um, unless you have further guidance from a medical officer. Okay. So, if you contact the doc and said, hey, I got this guy who's seizing. Can I give him some Ativan? He says, yes, then you can do that. Yes. But otherwise, you could just give him – fluid by mouth and then that would be it is that correct yeah i mean like so as an idhs like you can't so there are times when emergencies happen and you don't have time to make a phone call you don't have time to sit around you know and play phone tag with people to get to to save somebody right and so, so you're gonna put like, life before limb and all that you're gonna yeah like in, in this in this instance i did what i did and then talked to a flight surgeon after the fact sure so, so you, you you fix up a guy, make them all better. You have a bunch of migrants on your boat. What's the what's the standard course? What do you do with them? So there is a watch. So they have a migrant detainee watch, um, and they just sit there and make sure you know they're not doing anything crazy. You know, making sure they're just being they're just being chill. You know, I mean. Do you sure have somewhere somewhere specific? Is it like the flight that you keep them on, or is it like? Yeah, the like, we kept them on the flight deck, um, and we, you know, gave them food, gave them water. Um, we just had people out there monitoring them, making sure they weren't doing anything that was going to be harmful to the crew or the ship or themselves. And then me, specifically as a corpsman, I would make my rounds every day and hold, like, a sick call in case people were sick or injured that needed care that, you know, couldn't wait until we got to uh, wherever we had to deliver them to. And how long would they stay on the boat average? Was it a day or two? Was it, you know, a week, a month? Like, what's the average length of time that a migrant would be on your boat? That totally depends on where you're at and where you have to take them. Like, for us, we only had them on board, like, a few days. Um, But sometimes they're on board for a few weeks. It just depends. Yeah. I mean, I guess it depends on, one, how big your boat is, and, two, where you are in the world. um, Yeah. On that. Yeah. so that, that's pretty interesting. Like, I never had to deal with – well, I had some migrants. I, I remember a medevac case where I had to go to – I want to say it was the Bahamas again, where we had migrants that we had to transport because the Coast Guard – like, these guys were drug running. And I don't remember – I don't know if you remember the story. The guys were drug running. The Coast Guard shot their engine, and the engine blew up, and we oh, had – Oh, the shrapnel hit the shrapnel. Yeah, the shrapnel yeah. hit the guy. So I had to go fly out there and bring them all back. And, like, we we were back within – a few hours. So I think we actually took him back to Clearwater and the, uh, so the people that were with him, like the boarding team or whatever, were pissed at me because I started an idea and gave this guy payments because his eye was gone. 
And they're like, well, we can't bring him to prison because he's got an IV with morphine hanging. And I'm like, my bad. Uh, I guess you're taking him to the ER. So they ended up going to um, uh, Meese Countryside with this, with this migrant prisoner that day. <laughs> yeah, I remember. I mean, I feel like you did everything right. You know what I mean? You got when it when it's something life limb or eyesight. I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Well, that's it. Like I couldn't like. You know, I told the pilot to fly at a certain altitude because you got to worry about, like, what altitude does to your body's um, physiology. So, it's like, you know, you can't fly above 10,000 feet because above that, you have to worry about pressure differences. So, yeah, it's kind of like when you're diving in the bends or something. Oh, don't even talk about diving, Nick. Are we going to go there? <laughs> <laughs> we want to go to diving? We'll talk about diving in a minute. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, um, God, I just remembered that now. So... Um, now I forgot where I lost my train of thought. Um, but yeah, I just had to tell the pilot, like, you know, you had to fly below 10,000 feet because of his eyesight, but I couldn't, like, sew his eye back together because, number one, I'm not doing that. Number two, I don't know how to do that. But, uh, I gave him payments to, you know, keep him calm because he's also flying at 10,000 feet. There is pressure differences, but, um, you had to keep him comfortable until we got back to Clearwater, which is about a three hour flight from where we were. So, you just gotta do the right thing. Yeah. So. And I do remember trying to call on the satellite phone the uh, flight oh surgeon, God. and that was Those just... The delays are ridiculous. The delay was ridiculous. Like, I was talking to was Lieutenant Pavato at the time, talking to him, and I'm just, like, trying to tell him what's going on. He's, like, trying to tell me something, but there was, like, a 30-second delay from what I was saying to what he was, so it just wasn't conducive to have an actual conversation with, with uh, medical stuff. Yeah, that's one of the things they talked about in that school. They were like, whenever you make a, a satellite call... Say what, say everything you have to say in one sentence. Don't stop. <laughs> well, that's what it was. Cause, and that, we never learned that in Corman school. Like, that was no. never, never taught to us. So, like, I, and I don't even know how to use a satellite phone. I had the, the uh, flight mechanic, you know, dial it for me. And I, and I, I have the IV bag hanging from a, a coat hanger in the back of the C-130. So I go up to the cockpit to make this call. And um, it was just a complete travesty of a conversation. Um but anyway, diving. I can't believe we're talking about this. So we had a long weekend, right? It was like a we left on like a Thursday or Friday. We had off Monday or something. We drove back on a Monday. Yeah, I right. Was it Labor Day? I don't remember. I know we we went camping. So we we drove from Clearwater, Florida, to the Keys. We went to oh man, what was the name of that key? Uh, key Largo. Largo. Key Largo, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we drove to Key Largo. You drove in your truck, if I remember right. Yeah, that's right. So and we almost wrecked like 12 times. Dude, we almost died on this trip probably 12 times throughout the whole trip. Me, probably like 15 times, but that's that's the story. Um, so, you know, we, we pack up the car. We, we got the dogs all taken care of or whatever. We're driving down 75 to go down there, and, like, there's a grill in the middle of the highway. Like, fell out of the car. <laughs> and, like, we saw it at the last second. I'm in the back seat, having no idea what's going on. I feel like Nick Silverado almost, like, did a flip in the, in the, on 75, trying to avoid this, this, this whole grill with the propane tank and everything in the middle of the highway. Yeah, it was like and it was like somebody had set it up there. It wasn't like laying down or anything. It was like it was somebody was barbecuing in the middle of, the <laughs> in the middle of a three or four lane highway. Yeah. Um and we that wasn't even like an hour outside of Clearwater. We're like we still have like four or five hours of driving to go. Um 
So we get there. Well, actually, before we got there, we stopped uh, in Alligator Alley. Remember that? Yeah, I do. So we stopped, and we're like, we've never done it before. Let's go take an airboat ride and go see some gators. And damn, did we see some gators. Yeah, we did. Um, airboat was dope. That was, that was really cool. I would definitely do that. That was the best 25 bucks I've ever paid. Um, but so we leave we leave the gator thing after, you know, see gators, like, touch our boat or whatever. Keep driving down to Key Largo. We get there. It was pretty late at night, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah I think it was, it was around sunset when we got to the campsite. And we we still had to set up our tents and everything. Yeah. So I remember I was in the baby tent. <laughs> yeah, we were we were really ill prepared for this camping trip. Oh, this was so this is like a spur of the moment idea. We thought about this on a Wednesday. It's now Friday. Yeah. Um So we all packed tents, and for whatever reason, I did I not? Maybe somebody took my tent and I took Tabitha's tent or something. Either way, I'm in this Barbie doll tent, like legit Barbie doll, like a, a one person for a four year old tent. And I'm <laughs> six foot one trying to get to bed in this thing. And it's pouring rain. Pouring oh, yeah. rain. Um, like we started a fire, or whatever we had dinner, but by the time we're like getting everything set up still, it was pouring out thunderstorm all night long and everything. So. The next morning, we go and get the boat rental, um, and it's still pretty sh- pretty shitty out. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think the seas were probably like four to five. It was it was not a good day to go. This was a terrible day to go, and I I even remember the guy saying, "Are you sure you don't want to wait a little bit, and wait for the water to, water to get better?" And we're like, "No, we're going now. We're in the Coast Guard. We know what we're doing." <laughs> so, um, I don't remember was it. Tabitha driving out there? I don't remember who drove out there on the boat. Or I, think it was, uh, I, th- I think it was Justin. Yeah. So Justin's driving on this boat, and we have to go offshore probably a good 20 minutes. And the seat, like Nick said, the seats were probably about four, maybe six feet. Um, like, really crappy in a 20-foot boat that we were ill-prepared for. Yeah, the boat wasn't even 20 feet. It was 18 feet. Yeah. Uh, so you think about that. If the seats are... Um, eight like six eight, uh, four to six feet. The boat's eighteen feet. You're going up like a third of the boat is out of the water at every time. Every time you hit a wave, so it was really shitty out there that day. So we go out to we were going to the Jesus statue, the underwater Jesus. Yeah, the Christ of the Abyss. Yes. So we get out there and we are seasick. Like we just want to get off this boat and get into the water and not be seasick at this point. So, I think I think Tabitha and John, you and I were out together, but I think people were out in front of us. Yeah, it was. Uh, so Tabitha and Justin went first, and then Catherine was just going to snorkel because she wasn't dive certified, and then me and you were going to go second, and we were going to go dive together. So we were going to buddy dive, you know, play it safe, buddy dive. You yeah. Have somebody with you. So we, you and I, get into the water. And the boat is moored up to this buoy, and every time the sea goes up, the boat comes out of the water, and it smacks down. So we had to, like, jump off the boat as it's smacking down, because otherwise we were going to get hit by this engine from the boat, um, which would have just killed us, you know? Yeah. So we jump in the water, and the currents are pushing pretty strong. I lose sight of Nick within two minutes. Like, I don't even think we made it underwater. So this is how I remember it. (laughs) 
So, Tabitha and Justin, they get in, and uh, they go down, and so we don't see them anymore. And uh, we all t- we all told each other we were just going to go down. Like, as soon as we go in, we're going to go straight to the bottom just wait on everybody. So, Tabitha and Justin go. Then Kat's, you know, she leaves. She's just snorkeling around. And then me and you jump in. And then me and you look at each other. And <laughs> I go, that okay signal. And I go down. And then I'm sitting there. And Tabitha and Justin, I can see them probably 30, 40 yards ahead of me just looking at a reef. And I'm just standing on the bottom. And I'm like, where the hell is Dan? <laughs> and so I'm like, maybe he forgot some on the boat. So I go back to the top, and I don't see you anywhere. So I swim to the boat, and I'm like, Dan's not here. Where the hell did Dan go? So I'm like, maybe he's down there waiting on me. So I go back down, and here comes Tabitha and Justin. And I'm like, where the hell is Dan? I don't see Dan anywhere. And they're like, I don't know. Maybe he just went off on his own. So me, Tabitha, and Justin start swimming towards the statue. And we were, like, we were going slow, looking at stuff on the way. And every few, every, you know, ten minutes, we'd look at each other and throw our hands up, like, I don't know where Dan is. I can't find him. And then um, Catherine finds, because the the water was probably 20, 30 feet deep, and it was crystal clear, even though the waves were choppy. Underwater, you could see the visibility was great. So uh, Catherine swims down and taps me on the shoulder and tells me to come to the top, and I go up, and she goes, where's Dan? <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, I don't know. Um, me and Tabitha and Justin have been looking for him, and we can't find him. We think he swam off on his own, and we're going to try to be the first to the statue. <laughs> so she's like, okay. And so we go back, I go back down and meet uh, Justin and Tabitha, and we keep swimming along, and here comes Catherine again about ten minutes later, and she is pissed. <laughs> And uh, I go back up, and uh, she goes, Dan's back on the boat. <laughs> somebody somebody rescued him because <laughs> he floated <laughs> off. We need to go. So my side of the story was this. I get in the water, and I can dive to about two feet deep because my buoyancy vest wouldn't sink me. For whatever reason, like, I didn't have enough weight or whatever to sink. So I'm, like, bobbing semi-submerged under the water, getting toppled by these waves. So every time every time a wave hit me, it would throw me 10 feet further away from where I wanted to be. So I'm, like, trying to swim, <laughs> trying to swim, getting toppled by these waves, pushing me the opposite way of where I wanted to go. So finally, I'm like, all right, so this is how I'm going to die. Uh, I'm just going to float along here, drink some more salt water, just kind of chill. Die. Like, this is it. It's over. It's done. <laughs> uh, they're going to pretty soon be seeing an orange helicopter looking for me. So, perfect. You know, like, I'm thinking, like, where's my mirror? Like, how do I signal this? Like, don't have a radio. Don't know who to talk to. Just going to kind of float along here. So, I'm like, I see this boat way out in distance. And I'm like, all right, I'm kind of going in that direction. I'm going to just swim that way. So I start swimming that way, and the, it was helpful because the waves were kind of pushing me that way anyway. But uh, I, I get out there, and, you know, me being arrogant, they're like, do you need help? And I'm like, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just kind of hanging out here. And I'm like, get your ass on the boat. And I'm like, uh, okay, that's a pretty good idea. So I'm trying to get on their boat, but their waves are crashing down 
every, like, and the ladder on their boat was right next to the engine, and I'm like, dear God, like, I'm gonna get killed by this engine coming down on me from five feet above my head, and this is how I'm gonna die. So, I, they grab a boat hook, which is like this, this stick with a hook at the end of it that's probably about eight to ten feet long, and I come along beside the boat and I grab that, and I have them pull me over to them because it was just way too, sh- too shitty to get out there. So I get on their boat, and they're just, they're just sitting there, and they're not going anywhere, and I'm getting, I'm just bobbing up and down, you know, four, six feet in the air, just bobbing there. And I'm like, and I start getting seasick everywhere on their boat. Good Samaritans. So they're like, where's your boat? And I'm like, I don't know. And they're like, what color was it? I'm like, white. And all you see is white boats around us. So they're like, all right, you know, I said, you know, we were going to the Jesus statue. I think we parked over here. So we start heading out that way. So I finally, we come up to our boat and I see Kat. She's like, holy shit, you're alive. Like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, they rescued you. This is amazing. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, this is great. So I fill up my my buoyancy control with all the air that it can hold because I'm just, my, my plan was to just float to our boat. So I was like, all right, I'm going to jump off their boat, swim to our boat. But they didn't want to get close to our boat. They're probably 20, 30 yards away because they didn't want to get drifted into ours because it was so shitty out. So they dropped me off, and I had to float and swim all the way up to to our boat. And again, on our boat, the ladder was right next to the engine. And I'm like, oh, dear God, here's how I die. I'm going to get killed by an engine smacking me in the back of the head and be fish food. So Kat actually helped me get out of the water, and I swear to God she was going to hit me. I thought she was going to murder me um, when I got back on that boat, on that trip. Um, and then the whole joke was, like, we were going to go out there and see Jesus. I don't think anybody saw Jesus, but I was probably the closest to dying. Yeah, n- none of us saw him. We didn't quite make it. So, um, yeah, that was that was our diving adventure. And that was, that's honestly the last time I went scuba diving. Oh, Fine. actually, I take that back. Well, that's the last time I went scuba diving. I went, I went, um, helmet diving, which is different, but that was the last time I went scuba diving. So that would have been, that was right after we got certified. So that would have been like 2014. Yeah, maybe 2013. Cause I think, I don't remember if Cat was still in or not. I don't remember either, but for whatever reason, we all had the weekend off and we, we went down there. I I literally thought like I was I was planning how I was going to get saved by the Coast Guard. <laughs> that was, down there. Yeah, and then and then I think we we left that day, right? Or did we stay another night? I don't remember. We well, no, we went to camp out that night and then left the next morning. Um, but that was a, that was a experience I'll never forget. Meeting <laughs> Jesus that day. Oh man, that was a good time. Uh, that that was that was a really good time. Um, trying to think of any other stories that are coming to mind, but I, I can't think of one off the top of my head. Were you there when um, when we went camping? We went uh, canoeing and camping. Did you go with us on that, or were you already gone? Canoeing and camping. Uh, I don't remember. I, I, was it Fort Soto? Um, no, I think we went like. Um, on like maybe like the I don't it was on some river maybe like the Rainbow River or I remember scuba diving the Rainbow River 
Yeah, no. I think it, maybe it was me, Kat, Tabitha, and Josh. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. Oh, maybe maybe that was the day I went uh, to Fort DeSoto to the, the manatee. <laughs> oh, right, yeah, where the manatee launched you out of a kayak. <laughs> Oh, that's another good story from Florida. Oh man, but you weren't you weren't there for that one. That was uh that was Liz. No, but oh, I saw the aftermath because your foot was jacked for like a month. So I mean, I go into that story real quick. Uh, I went out on a on a little day date with one of our co like not a coworker, but she was stationed with us, and we went to go rent kayaks and just go like hang out in the water. So I pick her up. We go down there. And we rent the kayaks, and I throw, like, my keys and my cell phone and everything and my wallet in, like, a waterproof bag and put it in the back of the kayak. We kayak out. Oh, we probably kayaked a good two miles out in, like, the marshy areas. And we see all these manatees, and we're like, wow, they're, like, and they were right underneath us. Like, if we had one of those clear kayaks, you would see them right underneath us. And they were, like, brushing up against us, and we're like, oh, this is really cool. Except we realized afterwards that it was manatee mating season. And... Just so you know, when manatees mate, they get aggressive. Like they're they're known as sea cows, but these things were aggressive as hell. So we, we they brush up against my kayak, which had the my cell phone, my wallet, my keys, everything in the back of me. <laughs> they they brush up against my kayak, and all of a sudden it was like a a geyser came out of nowhere and launched me probably six feet in the air, straight up. I'm out of the kayak. Everything in the back of the kayak is in the water. And then as soon as one manatee does this, all of the male manatees do this. There's geysers going up everywhere. So I'm like, get me the hell out of here. I need to swim to shore so that way I'm not, like, in the manatee's, like, area. Like, I'm not going to get killed by a manatee. So I swim to shore, which is probably, I don't know, 30, 40 yards away, which wasn't bad. So my kayak is upside down 40 yards away. Liz starts like, coming over towards me, and the only thing I could think about was, well, I don't know where my keys are, and I don't know how we're getting home. So, um, but finally the manatees calmed down, and I swim back out there, and I, I, I was like, I kind of remember where I was. Like, I, I saw the kayak, and I was like, I was probably about 20 feet behind where the kayak is now. So I get out there, and the water is probably six feet deep. So... I was like, well, the Coast Guard taught me something. They taught me how to do search patterns. So I was like, I had the last known position of where I was. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start doing search patterns in the water until I find my keys. Because I, I didn't care about my wallet or anything else. I just wanted my keys because we weren't getting home. I wasn't getting into my house. Like, that's my biggest concern with the keys. So I did what was called the Victor Sierra search pattern, where you're basically doing triangles in the water. And lo and behold, it worked. And I pull out my waterlogged keys, my wallet, and everything still together from six feet under doing a search pattern from the Coast Guard. So thank you to the United States Coast Guard for teaching me that. That messed your foot up pretty bad, didn't it? Yeah, so when it ejected me, I had to go to urgent care about this. When it ejected me out of the kayak, my toe, like, got caught somehow, and it ripped the toenail out of my toe. And with the adrenaline, like, I didn't feel it, but, um, you know, it ripped it out, and it became infected. Like, it was nasty looking, because, um, like, the water I was in was nasty, and it was all full of, like, silt, because the manatees were kicking up all this silt. So, like, all sorts of dirt and crap got under there. So, the next day, I'm going to urgent care. They ended up taking the whole toenail out, because it was just so infected from, like, the dirt and everything, from the manatee ejecting me and me 
bleeding out and all sorts of other craziness. So, yeah, Nancy took a piece out of my toe from that one. So I really should stay out of the water. That's probably why I should have I got out of the Coast Guard earlier. Yeah, man. I, I don't – you're – your bad things happen to you in the ocean. <laughs> hey man, I, I came close to seeing Jesus that day. So, <laughs> and that's, that's what pissed me off about like I, I was mad at you guys because um, you guys didn't necessarily get to see Jesus either. Like for whatever reason, you guys never found him. Yeah, because Cat came back and was like, Dan had to be rescued. We need to go. <laughs> oh, you remember this part? Like we, like I know I was super seasick, so. I couldn't drive the boat back. Um, just uh, Tabitha's boyfriend at the time, Justin, ended up driving the boat back, and like I'm in the back, green as can be, and uh, I usually don't get seasick because we weren't moving, like we were getting seasick. So we we started moving, and like two minutes after we started moving, Tabitha's like perked up like a meerkat, and I was like, "Hey guys, what's going on?" Like, I couldn't believe, like, you were, like, a new guy after you just yeah. died. We're super seasick, and I was just like, hey, guys. Yeah, usually after you throw up, though, you feel a lot better. Yeah, and, like, everybody's like, look at the horizon, look at the horizon. It's like you couldn't even see the horizon. Like, it was it was really shitty that day. So, good times, Nick. Good times. Yeah. So, you've done how many years now? Ten? Uh, it was ten last month. Halfway to retirement now. Yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, I mean, God bless you. I couldn't do it. Like, I did my six, and looking back at it, I really think the grass is greener on this side. Um, you know, I'm, I'm making so much money not going there. I'm going to make even more once I graduate for the second time. Like, it's, it's not. I'm, I'm glad I did it, don't get me wrong, but I really think the benefits are better on the outside than they are on the end. Yeah, it all depends on how you apply stuff, and you know what I mean. It, it can work both ways. Oh yeah, it, you know for sure. If it if it fits your lifestyle, then that's great, you know. But um, if you're trying to raise a family, I mean, I guess you have a family, but if you're trying to like be a stay-at-home dad, that's not the job for you. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, it puts a huge strain on family, and it's it's. Uh, I mean, you definitely have your ups and downs, that's for sure. Yeah, and uh, props to Cat for dealing with. I mean, she, you're lucky because she knows what it's like because she did it for three or four years. Um, but you know, for those who who don't, it's, it takes a toll on the family when you know you're gone for months at a time, come back home and try to have a normal life, and it's tough. Yeah, I'm extremely lucky to have an understanding wife. That's for sure. Yeah. So. All right, Nick. Uh, anything else you wanted to bring up uh, to embarrass me some more? <laughs> Um, no, not so much an embarrassment that I can think of, at least for this go around. <laughs> uh, I do want to talk about your chip ranking. I listened to the Oh, show. here we go. I can't, I can't listen to all your podcasts when you release them, especially with our deployment schedule. So I listen to them when I can. And I was catching up yesterday and I heard you talk about these chip rankings. And I was like, I walked into Walmart today, and I went to the chip section. And I was, I was looking at all the, like, packs of, like, different Lay's chips, and no, I couldn't find one pack that had all the chips that you said were in it, for one. Some of them had, like, sour cream and onion. Some of them had, like, wavy different chips and this so, and that. Yeah, it, I should have I told you. It was at BJ's, because I have, like, the bulk membership or whatever. Um, 
So they have like a, it's a box. It's a box of 30. Um, so it had, just so everybody knows, it had the Cool Ranch, the barbecue, Fritos, Cheetos, Doritos, and regular. That's what this one had. I think they have like bags of them with like mix and match. Like I think you said the yeah. sour cream and onion. Some of them have like the Funyuns, I think. Um, yeah, so. some of them didn't have Funyuns. So please, Nick, tell me where I went wrong. Okay. For one, it's barbecue. Oh, God, no, please, no. Barbecue cannot be dead last. I will agree it's not the best, but it can't be dead last. My, if I had to start ranking from, you know, my least favorite to my most favorite, it would have to be, my least favorite would be Cool Ranch Doritos. Okay, I'll give that. I, I, I loved them when I was a kid when they first came out, but now I can't stand them. It's like, I, you know how it is when you get really drunk off a drink and you do it for years and mine's Jaeger. I can't, I can't smell Jaeger anymore. I'm sure. that way with Cool Ranch Doritos. That's a good, that's a good way to look at it. Uh, so Cool Ranch would be my least favorite. Um, and after that, I think it would be, um, I think it would be the classic Lay's. I, I, I agree with you how you said they're a good everyday potato chips. They're, they're salty, but they're not too salty. They're good. I, I agree with that. Um, but I think I'll put that second to last. How many chips are there? Five that we're doing? One, two, three, four, six. So, the, six, just, you know, so. we went over Cool Ranch and the classic. You have left right. or, or in barbecue. Um, then you have Fritos, Cheetos, and Doritos. Okay. So, my number six was uh, Cool Ranch. My yep, five cool ranch. was classic. Regular. Yeah, regular. My number four would be uh, Fritos. Really? Uh, Really? So, the little Fritos, I'm not a huge fan of. Now, the Frito Scoops, I love those things. Yeah, so this doesn't have the Scoops. It's the regular original Fritos. So Yeah, the, the regular original Fritos, I'm not a huge fan of. So, I'll put those at, what, is four. Damn, middle's a row for that. I'm upset about that. I, I really am. After that, it would be barbecue at number three. Okay. And Doritos, number two, and Cheetos, number one. See, like, I feel like Cheetos for me, it's like you have them and you're like, okay, I'm over it. Like, I couldn't, if you had to have Cheetos every day, you'd be like, I can't, I can't do it. I can eat Cheetos every day. I love Cheetos. And they're the crunchy, not the puffs. You know that, right? Well, yeah, no, the crunchy ones. I'm not a huge fan of the puffs at all. Yeah, I, I think they did right by having the puffs, the, the crunchy ones in there. Um, I'm glad they don't have the puffs because I wouldn't buy the whole thing anyway. Now, but, I also agree with you on your barbecue aspect, how all the barbecue flavors taste totally different. Not one of them are the same. No, you, I mean, from hers to Publix brand to, you know, Fritos, like, they're all yeah. different. They all use a different rub on it, and, like, there's just no consistency. Where, like, you go get a regular chip, and it's going to taste like a regular chip no matter where you yeah. go get it. Like, I feel like Lay's has one of the better barbecue flavors, but all, all in all, every barbecue brand that you try is going to be a little different. Like some are hot, some are sour, some are sweet. Yeah. You know, you, you just there's no consistency of it. You know. Yeah. So I guess the, you know, is that all you want to say about chips, Nick? Is that all you want to say? You feel better now? Yeah, that's that's all I want to say about the chips. Because you also said something about NASCAR, right? Yeah, I disagree with you saying NASCAR is not a sport. NASCAR is a hundred percent a sport. 
All right, Nick, I, I, I kind of talked about this in my last podcast a little bit more with my buddy Matt. I would say that I, I did have to change it a little bit. I, I don't know if you listened to it. I said no, that NASCAR, like, yeah. NASCAR is 51% sport and 49% entertainment. Well, you could almost argue that with any sporting event. They're designed for entertainment. See, it's not, though. Like, well, is, is American football not designed for public entertainment? Sure, but like I, I said in that one, I, I couldn't use that as an example because, like, it's not in the Olympics, you know? Like, uh, I tried, like, base, and so either it's baseball, I guess, technically. Um, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I guess you're right, but it's not in the Olympics. But, I mean, they do have, like, the, what is it, the World Baseball Classic or something? And we have the uh, – and football has the uh, um, <coughs> Super Bowl. So, I mean, that is too, you know. You know one, one sport that I would argue that is not really a sport is soccer. Oh, I, I think that soccer is way more of a sport than NASCAR is, 100%. To me, to me soccer is just a bunch of actors. Have you, I mean, the flops that they do in there – and don't get me wrong, they're some of the most fit people in the world. I was going to say, they won six miles a game. Minimum. Yeah, but I'm not saying anything about that because I definitely can't run six miles. But the it's it, to me, they don't even really play soccer. It's just who can flop the biggest and get a, <laughs> get a penalty. I mean, so you think that NASCAR is more of a sport than soccer and that has less athleticism than soccer? No, soccer by far has more athleticism. But um, put it this way: any any average Joe can't get in a can't get in a NASCAR race and do what those guys do. The precision it takes to to know when you can pass, learning how to draft properly and pass people, and you know putting pressure against their bumper without causing a wreck. And that's that takes skill and ex- technical expertise that most people in this world don't have. I mean, I'm not disagreeing. However, if you want, if that is your definition of a sport, then so is playing in the band. You know, that, that has a, that has a skill. There's competition in it. There's money in it. Playing in the band is just as much of a sport as NASCAR is, if that's your definition. You know what? I, I see your point. You know what else I don't think is a sport? Cheerleading. I mean, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think the women on here would. Um, but I think that, like, that is 100% entertainment. Um, yeah, no, I agree. If, if and, you think that cheerleading not, is a sport, then so is stripping at that yeah. point. And, and I'm not saying I can cheerlead by any means because. Nick, I would love to see that, by the way. <laughs> I, I would put on a miraculous sport. <laughs> but those men and women are in way better shape than I am. And. They can do all this stuff I can't do. I just don't consider it a sport. I consider it a good, you know, good thing to do. If You know, go out and support your team, you know what I mean? But I can't. I don't call that a sport. But, I mean, I guess tech, so they're not, I, they are getting paid, but they're not. I think they only make, like, I, I'll speak because I know this from experience, the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders only get paid $50 a game. Yeah, so. and uh, and that's one of the toughest cheerleading gigs to land. Right, and to be a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader, you have to try out. Like, it's a there's like a multi-step process to this, like between tryouts and the photo shoots and everything else that they incorporate. Yeah, they I mean, only it's not paid. how good it's not how good you cheer. It's not how fit you are. It's 
it, it's a mixture of all that plus how you look in the uniform. The uniform is the selling point for people. Right, and, and to be a Dallas Cowboy, and I think it's the NFL standard. They only make $50 a game, but then they get incentives. You know, they get, like, the photo shoots, the calendars, and yeah, all that. I mean, and then they get to travel with the team at every away game, too. So there is yeah, a little that, incentive of it. But, but that and, alone can't be their only source of income. You, you can't live off that. Right, and it actually reminds me, there was a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader that lost her job as a school teacher because they thought that it was not good for a school teacher to be a Cowboys cheerleader. So she yeah. ended up losing her job over it. Which I don't agree with that at all. But um, I, I would agree with you 100% that it's not a sport that is entertainment at its finest. So, I, I, like, like I said, if you think NASCAR is a sport, then so is playing in the band. <laughs> I, I see your point on it, but I don't agree. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, my buddy and I were talking about this at school the other day. I guess it was a couple weeks ago now, but... uh. I was like, and at that point, I was diehard set that NASCAR wasn't a sport, but the more that I've talked about it with people, there is, but like I said, so is playing video games. Like, you, you have to have a skill to play esports and play video games. Like, you have to have that quick twitch and the, the quick reflexes to, to, you know, hit the button at the right time, things like that, just as well as a NASCAR person does. So, do we have, like, can we make a new classification for these sports that aren't really sports, but are sports? You know, like, are we ever going to see people playing Madden in the uh, the Olympics? No. I mean, I doubt you ever see it in the Olympics, but you right. will think, you will start seeing it on TV. I can guarantee you that. And it, Twitch has made it huge for like the um, the esports or whatever. But yeah, I mean, you you already have um, certain NBA teams sponsoring uh, um, video game uh, players to represent them in certain tournaments. And there's massive amounts of money in this. Like, there's yeah. probably more. There's probably more money in winning a Madden tournament than there is winning the Boston Marathon. I I don't know the the actual monetary, but I would be willing to put ten dollars on that. I mean, you get it draws huge crowds. And don't get me wrong, NASCAR draws huge crowds. Although I was reading an article, take it for what it is, that NASCAR has actually lost some interest over the last uh, five years because of rule changes. Um, yeah, that that's true. But they still will get a huge crowd coming in. Um, so, but so does, here, I'll, I'll mention this too. We have wrestling. You have the WWE. Is that a sport or is that entertainment? You know, those guys uh, are in pretty good shape, but is it I consider I consider them athletes. Um, however, I don't classify wrestling as a sport. Um, I think it is strictly as entertainment. See, I, 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 want to be technical here. I classify WWE as entertainment. You have high school, college wrestling. I think that is a sport. Okay, um, you know, I, I agree. When you said wrestling, I automatically jumped to the WWE. I, right. I didn't think about college or high school wrestling. I classify those as sports. Right, but not, sure. yeah. So we're like, that. Yeah. But, but yeah, like, because, like, those guys are, could, like, huge athletes. The things that they put their bodies through weeks on, weeks out, you know, you see them putting on the the plastic bags and running around trying to make weights and all that, and that, that that's a sport. But once you get to Vince McMahon wrestling, I think that is where the tables turn to entertainment value and not sport value. No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, and that's that's kind of where I put NASCAR. Like it's all about bringing in money and, and sponsors and things like that. I don't I don't know if I see it as a sport. Like fifty one percent says sure. 
I feel like every every sporting event though is for entertainment. Or else why do it? So the Masters is on right now. It's a good weekend to talk about golf. I don't see that being entertainment. I see that's a sport. I see it as both. What entertainment value do you see in watching Tiger Woods playing? Is it, is it like the after, like he hits the ball and it's like the, the after swing? Like what do you see the entertainment value in golf? To me, it's, right now it's the Tiger Woods comeback. I have been waiting for Tiger Woods to make his comeback ever since he fell off the map. And right now he is tied for fourth. Uh, he's like two, he's like two, negative two or something like that. Yeah, yeah I think so, he's part, yeah. Yeah, so to me, you know, back in the 90s and early 2000s, Tiger Woods was the Michael Jordan of golf. And I'm watching great. Yep. And wa- watching him fall, you know, with everything that's happened to him and, you know, through all, you know, all his marital issues and his sex and, issues and everything yeah, else. His, his, his view in the public eye and then all his health issues he's had on top of that, watching his slow rise come back to the top is I, I hope he succeeds. Yeah, I mean, he kind of has a Lance Armstrong-esque kind of story behind him where, you know, you kind of fall off the face of the earth and come back, but like, obviously Lance Armstrong never came back because he was down doping and all that. But, like, I, I, no, I'm not disagreeing with you. He definitely has a story behind him. Um, and, and I will say that knowing his story helps invigorate golf, but I think it's still sport and not entertainment. I, I think it's both. It depends on... I guess it depends on how much you like golf. I, this is true. I'm not a golf fan. Like, I, if I want to take a nap, I will put on golf. I'm not gonna yeah, I mean, like, that's how I feel about hockey. Like, I, I feel like hockey is a sport, 100% sport. I just don't like hockey. Like, I never played it really growing up. I never really get into it watching it. I'll go watch a game and, like, like be there at the stadium, watch a game or the arena, and I'll get into it, but I can't get into it on TV. If for the life of me, I can't do it. You know, and you're not wrong. Like, when I, like, I'll go to Fenway Park once a year or whatever, and I will be a diehard Red Sox fan all that game. After that, I don't really care. I'm not going to go watch them on TV. So I guess I can kind of see the entertainment value in that. Like, I love going there, drink a beer. I love going to hockey. I remember going in Clearwater. We would go to the uh, to the Tampa Bay uh, Ray, um, uh, Lightning games. Um, yeah. But and I will go there and have a beer all day long. But I'm not going to sit at home and watch them. So I, I see your point on that. You know, you're not wrong. Uh, it depends on the amount. Like Dallas Cowboys, you guarantee every Thursday, Sunday, or Monday, I'll be having that TV on because I see the sport in that, not the entertainment side. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. That's, that's a good way to look at it. You know, you, your background on it determines how you feel about it. Way, way to bring that light to me, Nick. I can see your ways. <laughs> we didn't agree on much, but there are a few, few things that I agree with you with. Yeah, there's a few things we agree on. I feel uh, like we balance each other out. What, yeah, yeah. You, you and I were the yin and yang of the physicals department. That's true. Um, you know, and that, that's where we really bonded was back there in that office, sitting there for eight hours a day. Bumping out physicals. Man, that was a good time. I learned a lot in that, like, doing physicals there. I feel like that's where I've grown most as a corpsman was in that department. Are you, are, hold on. Are you saying that you learned from me, Nicholas? 
Well, I mean, yeah. I learned a little bit from you. <laughs> Most of it I learned from Christine. Uh, who hasn't learned anything from Christine? Like, she's I, um, just the the pinnacle corpsman. She's a chief now. That doesn't surprise me. I'm surprised she's not a warrant. Yeah, she's been a chief for a little while. Yeah, I'm, I'm surprised she uh, she isn't a warrant yet. She's uh, she's like the pinnacle corpsman there. And did you see that uh, our former um, boss is now a lieutenant commander? Um, he he was a warrant who made lieutenant, and now is a lieutenant commander. Who? Uh, Mr. Uh, um, oh, I'm you're. T- oh, what's his name? I know. He's going to kill me for it because I'm friends with him on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> um, I know you're talking about. I know who you're talking about. Uh, Perry, yeah, Mr. Perry. Like, yeah, Mr. Perry. That's right. Stan Perry. That's it. Yep. Yeah, okay. I, I did not know he was a lieutenant commander. I knew he was a lieutenant because I talked to him when he was a lieutenant one time on Messenger, but I haven't talked to him since. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's out in uh, Hawaii still. Oh, I, I knew he went to Hawaii because I was I was thinking about putting in for a pick in Hawaii, and I was talking to him about it. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, 99% sure he's still in Hawaii. And, like, that's something about the Coast Guard I really like. Like, we had really good duty stations. Um, like I know when I graduated Corman school, I had the choice between Clearwater, Puerto Rico, and Miami. And I was like, well, I'm going to go to Clearwater. Um, where like the other branches, they really don't have, you know, you can go to Nebraska or Alaska. I guess we can go to Alaska too, but you know, they don't have as good duty stations as we did. I've had a bunch of like problems with my picks, man. Like I haven't been like happy with a lot of them. Yeah. Um, can you take a crappy billet to hope to get a new one in the future? Like, I mean, you can. That's that's kind of what I did with this one, uh, with this boat that I'm on now. So I put in – so Dream Sheets were due sometime in November, um, and they were, like, due on a Friday. And the so I'm – I was going to try to stay where I was at in Port Arthur for an extra year. I was trying to extend a year. So I had to, like – route paperwork to get like a command endorsement and I got a favorable command endorsement and uh and so I get an email from the detailer the day before e resumes are due. And like she hasn't even got my e resume yet. And the email said something along the lines of um you haven't you didn't receive any picks on your dream sheet. Here are three boats, rank them one through three. <laughs> and I was so- like this is bull. Yeah, I was like, that sounds like a failure on their end. Yeah, and I was like, well, n- no shit, I haven't got a pick on my dream sheet because you don't even have it yet. <laughs> oh man, that's that's pretty crappy. So what what boats did you have to choose from? Do you remember? I got to choose from the Decisive, which is in Pensacola, the Venturous out of St. Pete, or the Valiant out of Mayport. So all four boats. All two tens. And all Florida boats. So, personally, I would have went to St. Pete just because I know the area. Um, obviously, you have the family at Pensacola, so I can't dig you on that. Yeah, well, at the same time, um, so right now I'm currently geo-bachelor here in Pensacola. Like, Catherine and still in Texas? Are still in Texas, yeah. And, um, and so this was the closest I could get to them, and luckily I got it. Well, that's true. I mean, and by close, you're probably what? Six hours? Seven hours. Yeah. Seven. Yeah. I mean, I hear you on that. So that, yeah, that the, the, same, 
the same thing happened to me out of um, HSA school because um, I got married to Kat, and then she got orders to um, station Freeport, Texas, and then the detailer said, I'm not sending you anywhere close to there. And so luckily I had number one pick in the class, and I got to choose first out of all the available picks, and the closest I could get to Texas was South Florida. Wow, that's crazy. I mean, your picks in your class were pretty terrible, though. Like, you had three of the three of New London, Connecticut, one in um, uh, D.C., and then you had the probably the best one in Clearwater. Um, yeah, there was there was one in Alaska, one in um, in uh, Puerto Rico, or was the one in Baltimore. I mean, there were only eleven. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot we didn't talk about that, but yeah, there was only 11 in your pack, and there was like 30 in mine. Um, yeah, and all of ours were all critical. Yeah, because they screwed the pooch on that one. Um, yeah, they did. But like our picks were pretty good. I had the top. I was in the top three in my class, so I was like, I'm gonna pick a place where uh, like New London. I would have I would have gone to New London in a heartbeat if it was a pick, but it was not there. And I said, well, screw it. If I can't go to New London, I'm gonna go somewhere nice. So I was between Miami, Clearwater, and Puerto Rico. And I said, well, I don't feel like going to Puerto Rico, Miami, or Clearwater. I don't want a busy city like Miami, so I'm going to go to Clearwater. So that's why I chose that. Yeah. I mean, don't people- get me wrong. I had a blast in Clearwater. Uh, we, I feel like we had a pretty solid crew there at the clinic. Oh, for sure. Like, I, I did learn a lot. Like, I wouldn't be where I am in my life if I didn't spend time in Clearwater learning what I did, for sure. Um, you know, like, you know, I, so I, I did my bachelor's and now I'm doing my second bachelor's in nursing and like, I am flying through it rather easily with really little studying because of what we learned in the military. And I had no medical experience before that. So I really can't hate on the train that we got. Yeah. I mean, I, if you think HS school prepared you for nursing, you should go, you should have done IDHS school. Like, I feel like I learned so much at HS school and like so much more in depth than I did as a in HSA school. Like it's like night and day. Yeah, I mean, you know, so after I got out, I took a job working at a level one trauma here in Philly, and I I was a trauma uh, medic there, and like I was running around in circles over like over the people that were there because of the training that we got from the military. Like I was like, all right, I know how to debate. Let's do this. Like I remember that. Like. We did IOs once. I could do this. Like, I'm good. Like, fuck it. So, um, like, the training we got were, were second to none. Um, I do wish they did a little more training. Like, I wish they gave us our ACLS um, thing. I did that on my own, unfortunately. Um, I wish the military gave us that. but um, And, and PALS, too. But, I mean, we didn't really see pediatric patients too often. So. But I, I will not hate on the training that we got from the Coast Guard. Yeah, no, I think it's pretty good. Um, I wish more of it transitioned to the civilian credentials, though. Oh, for sure. Like, there were so many classes in my undergrad that I took that I was like, why am I taking medical terminology in my undergrad? Like, why can't I take, get an exempt from this class? Yeah, that's um, one of my biggest gripes about um, – I don't know how the other services do, but as far as the Coast Guard's concerned, about how not enough A schools are geared towards – civilian credentialing on the outside. I mean, 
how sad is it that when we get out, pretty much, unless you go to, like, some... Pilot school. If you're going to get a pilot, you know, like, maybe. I mean, like, unless you go to certain C schools or, you know, certain other things, the average everyday corpsman can only be an EMT. How much of a waste of resources is that? Nick, you're... So, my freshman year English class, we had to write a paper about, like, issues in our commute, like, in our majors. So I wrote a 12-page paper about that. I was like, the medical field does not recognize the military uh, certifications. And I wrote a literal 12-page paper on that, and then sent it to my senators in the state to um, have them look at it and see what they can do about it. And I mean, I'm sure nothing happened with it, but I sent it to them. Yeah, I, that's what, I mean, we all take the uniform off one day. Why not set your people up for success for life outside of the military? I'm not disagreeing with you at all. Like, we have such a huge homeless veteran population that we're all skilled individuals at whatever their job was in the military. You can't just be a bum in the military. You have to have a job, and yeah. you have to be good at it, or else you will get kicked out. I mean, so, how easy would it be for Corman to slide into clinical sick call at a VA? You know dude, what I mean? It's insane. Like, there's no reason that you couldn't. But instead, you have to go get all these certifications that you basically could test out of. Like, I... I'm not saying, like, I could test out of nursing school, but I really feel like if you gave me a test today, I could pass it. Like, I'm not saying – I'm not – like, we, as corpsmen, especially as IDHSs, you function on a level that's, like, in between a nurse and a PA. Like, in some aspects of your job, you can do more than nurses can do. And some you don't know nearly as much as nurses know. You function in this weird gray area that's somewhere in between them. And I feel like it's a huge waste of resources – for us to have to get back out and go to school to do less than we could do in the military. It's, it's absolutely – and then you have to pay for it. I mean, granted, we have the GI Bill, so we're not really paying for it. But the government, you're paying for it with tax dollars. Like, it, you're, it's getting paid for, and it's ridiculous that we can't just take a test and say, yeah, you're good. You're, you're competent in what you can do. Yeah. Now, I feel like – I don't feel like that as a, a third-class HS, you should be able to get out and go be a nurse. I feel like they should gear it towards the more the higher you move up in rank, the more you knock out. You know, you see what I'm saying? I do, and I don't know if I agree 100 percent because so you make you know chief or whatever, and you're more of a manager than you are hands-on care. You know, if you're an ER nurse, would you rather have somebody who knows what they're doing, like a second or third class, or would you rather have somebody who pushes paper? I feel so, like one. I feel like you should. You should be. A, I feel like you should be a second to be, like, the equivalent of something, you know, maybe like a nurse or something like that. Um, and then the higher you move up, the more detailed you can get, you know. Maybe not I mean? a nurse. Maybe an LPN. I think we should yeah. go test out an LPN. Something. It, so I'll settle for anything. But right now we have nothing, and I feel like it's a shame and it's a disservice to everybody. You know, uh, there's somebody we could talk to about this. We could go talk to the master chief about this and say, like, we're not really setting up a people for success here. I know. That's one of the things I said. If I stay in long enough and I'm able to be in those positions, like the rating force master chief, or I feel like that's the position to enforce the most change for our rate is the rating force master chief. I feel like if I was in his position and, you know, they may already be trying to do stuff like that. I don't know. It's not like we have conversations with them. Yeah. Um, I mean, some of our first name people, yeah. but – um, but our rate is also so small that we had 500 of us in the entire Coast Guard. Like, yeah. they know us on a personal level, or they could if they wanted to. Um, it's not like we're asking for them to make us president or something, you know? 
Yeah, um, that's true. Um, I just, I, I, I think we could have tested out of being, uh, and not even a CNA, it was an RMA, if I remember right. I don't know if they changed that program. Yeah, it was a, at least when we were thirds, it was an RMA, but I don't feel like that's really that's, anything. Yeah, I mean, you're making $10 an hour still. Yeah. So. I mean, like, I, I, to me, I don't even want to be an EMT, like, on the outside. Like, I don't want to make $12 an hour and be under that much stress when I could go work at McDonald's and make $10 an hour and have no stress. Yeah, I mean, luckily, I, I got a really good-paying job here in the city that paid me well for my experience. But, I mean, this, so I made more as a medic in the ER than the medics were making on the streets. They're making, like, I think the medics are making 16 an hour and the EMCs are making 12. And I feel like that's ridiculous. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. Like, I was making high 20s working in the ER, but my experience helped me get to that job. Yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not knocking you and your experience, but I'm, what I'm saying is, like, being an EMT or a paramedic, that's some of the most stress you're under because you're that person's lifeline until that you can get to a higher level of care. Oh, and that's it for sure. Like, they had it way, like, they brought them to me and they were already tubed and had the IV already in and they were getting their meds and I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to put another line in them just because and I'm going to give them some oxygen because why not? But, like, you already did all of my work for me, so thanks. And yeah. you got paid half of what I got. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you. Like there is there's a big disparity there, and uh, I I I mean I wrote the letter to Congress. I don't know what else we can do in our position to to try to fix these these things. I I think the only thing we can really do is keep talking about it, and hopefully it gets brought up in the right circle of people to enforce the change. I mean, but then the other issue is like with with credit with accreditation. Like I wrote about it in my paper that the civilian world doesn't want to do that because they're not making any money. Like they make money when you go to school and you have to pay for the exams, you have to pay for the training and things like that. Whereas the military, they're like, well, you didn't go through the training, you're, you're, you know, and they get, they get paid from the GI bill. So like they're getting paid $40,000 for you to go get your nursing degree or however much it is. And they're making that money off of it. Whereas if you were to test out of it, they're losing money, you know? So I mean, and I'll, I'll even make the argument that, you don't have to make it where our credentials are the transition right off the street. You know, I'm not saying I'll take off this uniform today and go work as a nurse tomorrow, but maybe knock out three quarters of the curriculum and make me only have to take a semester or two at your, you know, institution to be able to test for the NCLEX. You're not wrong. Like, there's no reason why I should have had to take anatomy and physiology or um, medical terminology or things like that. Like, I had aerospace physiology. Why isn't that transferred to my physiology class? Like, yeah, I, I had to learn physiology, and then I had to learn what, about what it did in air and space. Like, why does that not count? So, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I totally agree. I'm not disagreeing. Like, it's just absolutely insane. And I mean, maybe somebody's listening to this podcast, and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do something about that. But who knows? Speaking of listeners on your podcast, how many subscribers do you have? Um, so right now, I'm averaging about 30 people an episode. Um, you haven't been doing it that long. No, and I, I haven't been, I'll be honest, like, I haven't been doing them every single week just because of school and exams and stuff. I've been doing them, like, close to every week, but sometimes it's a little more. Um, my highest one had 100-something listens, and I'm like, wow, that was absolutely incredible. Um, but usually, on average, it's probably, like, mid-30s, like, 32, 35, something like that. Yeah, so, I mean, have you seen, like, a steady, like, a growth in it at all since you first started? 
Um, it's probably been about the same. Like, so it's funny. Like, as as I do them, the same people will text me every week and be like, "Dude, you're absolutely on the money." Or like, uh, I had a couple texts that said like, "Congratulations!" Before I we even posted on Facebook, so I know I had listeners like that were like, "Oh wow!" Like he actually got engaged or whatever. So like, it, it's kind of cool knowing that that I did like that little experiment to see like if people are actually listening. Um, yeah. So I have the people that do listen are faithful listeners. Like I'd like to get it to go out there more. Like I, my whole goal was to like have different people from different backgrounds come on here. We just bullshit for whatever it is now or whatever. And, uh, you know, that way people would be tuned to be like, Oh, I want to listen to this episode. That sounds like an interesting thing or man, it's not for me. And like, I'd be okay with that, you know? Yeah, for sure. So I'm glad, I'm glad you came on, you came on here and we got the, Reminisce about uh, our experiences together and what you've been doing ever since uh, the last time I saw you. Yeah, man, about our glory days. <laughs> uh, glory is a is a word I probably wouldn't have used. <laughs> and our and I wouldn't have used better days. I had hair back then. Um, you know, I was yeah. a little lighter on the weight. That's for sure. Um, yeah, I mean the Dan I remember from back then was running, you know, ridiculous amounts of marathons and. I remember you used to do these Ragnars where you'd run, like, 100 miles in, like, two days or something stupid like that. Yeah, I was pretty dumb back then, but uh, those, those days are long past me. I'm too old for that now. <laughs> so I, I really needed to get back into doing something like that. Like, those, I was in the best physical shape of my life back then, too. Um, right, It was actually right after I got divorced. I really got in shape. Um, now that yeah, I'm right. in my relationship, I need, to, uh, I need to do that. So maybe she should break up with me. No, okay, I, I mean, I mean, don't. I wouldn't go that far. But, <laughs> but I, I mean, uh, it's about time you asked her to marry. I mean, you, you were together when we were in Clearwater, still. So well, that's where I met her. I met her when we were in Clearwater. So yeah, uh, and, and she followed me up here to Philly, and uh, now she's living in Connecticut now. So, wow. Yeah. So I mean, as, as soon as I graduate from school, I'll be heading up there too. So it's like a little short thing, but we see each other. Uh, about every two, three weeks. So, I mean, it's, it's like, bad. it's not bad. It's like being on a little deployment or whatever. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was about time I, I put a ring on that and said, you know what? Let's do it. So, yeah, good for you, man. Yeah, we did it down in Tampa, um, where we first met. So, that's how that happened. But, yeah, she's, she's now making big bucks as a PA. Oh, she's a PA? Do you? Oh man, wow. Yep, so we'll be pretty well set financially once I graduate. And, you know, yeah, that's good. She gets her loan paid off. Um, but You still on the GI Bill? Yep, yep, I still got like, I, and I still have like 30 months or something crazy left. So I'm like, I could get a master's, like, I could get my nurse practitioner and keep going to school, but the more I think about it, I'm like, well, I'll be 30 in a couple weeks, like, I don't know if I want to get my nurse practitioner right away, because it's really not worth it when you look at the, the the money aspect of it. Like you make an extra thirty thousand a year, or I could just work a day of overtime and not have to get my master's degree and make the same amount. I mean, so, that's true, but at the same time, it's like, I mean, I'm looking at it from like a Corman aspect. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I would much rather be an MP than a than a regular nurse. But, yeah, because it's like it's like you'd be doing what you were trying to do in the exactly, military. Exactly, and. And as a nurse, I'm really limited on that. But, uh, uh, you know, as an MP, I'm not. And I actually have more autonomy than a PA does, which is really nice. 
Um, like, I don't have to have a doctor to work for. Like, I can work on my own, you know? Oh, really? I didn't know, I didn't know nurse practitioners worked on their own. I thought they all, I thought nurse practitioners and PAs worked under a doctor's license. So, nurse practitioners have, like, a doctor's license. They don't have to have, like, um, they don't have to have, like, they don't have to be in the same building. They don't have to have them co-sign everything. They just kind of are, like, not an assistant, but they're separate. Like, they don't have to be, like, right up there. Like, you can open your own practice as an MP where you can't as a PA. Oh, so, like, as a, as a nurse practitioner, you say you could open up your own, like, small, like, family practice or something like that. And 100%. 100%. Without, without ever dealing with a doctor? Yeah, whereas, but you would still have, like, a supervising doctor, but you could open up your own practice where a PA can't. Like, a doctor physically has to open up the practice. You work under that doctor's license. Oh, wow. See, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I have, I'd have even more autonomy, and then I'd really show Betsy. But, uh... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, to me, it's like, I'll be 30, like, I want to have kids. Like, do I want to give up time having kids and raising a family to do that? Or would I rather just work an extra day when I want to and do three twelves a week and be done with my life? Now, what kind and of nurse do you want to be? So, here's my thing. If I go work at the VA... I can do 14 years and retire because they'll take my military service into account. So I get six off of that 20 gives me, I can work 14 years and I can retire with full benefits. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, I get that, but like what? Oh, specialty. Yeah. What specialty I do? So I did the ER for a number of years here in Philly. I really like that. Um, I just don't know if I want to do the hours. Like, I don't know if I would want to do night shifts for, like, I work night shift when I was up here. I don't know if I would want to do that as a new nurse for the first five years of my life. Like, I just don't know. Like, the more I think about it, I could do, like, cardiac cath or ICU and be okay with that, where it's critical, like, I'm hands-on, I have to think about it, um, things like that. Like, I really like the hours of cardiac cath, like, you know, seven to three on call one week in a month. Like I, I could do that. Like that's not bad. So we'll see. see I, I don't think know. it would be dope to be a nurse anesthetist. See, I don't think I'm smart enough. I think I'm honest with myself to know that I'm not smart enough to do that. Like I, I man, I think you can make big bucks doing that. I, I see the money in it, and I'm like, yeah, that's really nice. And I just don't know if I see, like, I want to do the hours and have that much responsibility. Like, God forbid somebody stops breathing on me and dies. Like, whereas with an NP, I could be like, yeah, so, you're, so you have a scar for my suturing. Not a big deal, you know? Yeah. So I, I really, I don't know. We'll see how I feel. Maybe in, like, 14 years when I retire and I have nothing else to do, I'll do it. I don't, I don't know. I think the GI Bill just changed where I have it forever now. Um, um, it, it changed a while back. I think it was actually like maybe two years ago now. Um, if you got out after a certain date, I can't remember what it was that you have it for life to be able to use it. Like, don't get me wrong. You still have like however many hours total it's worth, but like it, you know, like, cause, because when you got out and Kat got out, it was like 10 years. You had 10 years from the day you got out to use it. Yep. Yep. Or you right. lost it. Yep. Or you could use it, and then whenever it ran out, it ran out. Yeah, so I have like um, something like 20 months or 25 months left on it, and I'm like, man, if I had – it's over two years. Um, if I yeah. had – I could go to NP school in two years and have it all paid for and yeah, get the like, BH on top of it. Because Kat missed it. She missed the deadline by like six months or something like that. I'll have to look into this and see, because um, that will obviously help too. Um, 
to see. And I don't know if they've got any loans, but there are programs out there. Like, I know the VA has one. Like, the VA has one where if you're a civilian with no military affiliation, they'll pay for you to go get your nursing degree, your four-year degree. They'll pay for the entire thing as long as you commit three years to working to them. Yeah, I saw um, um, on Facebook, I follow, like, uh, USCGHSs or something like that on Facebook. Uh-huh. And uh, somebody posted on there the other day that the VA was saying that they would give you a scholarship to go to school to be a PA if you would work for them. Yeah. Um, so that's how I found that, actually. Um, I saw that they had the, – there's two different scholarships, and that was one of them. The other one was where if you wanted to get your um, your nursing – your master's your master's in behavioral health, I think it was, where you become an MP yeah. in mental health, but they would pay for that as well. Yeah, 100%. So, um, so definitely oppor- opportunities for us on the outside. It's just that you got to put in the time. Like you said, you don't get, like, grandfathered in. You don't get a discount or anything. You have to do the time to yeah, make like start it. From, starting from scratch. And you re- like, I, I really did. I, I think that, um, it, honest to God, when I went for my first undergrad, I got a year taken off of it. So I did four years and three because – they only took what you and I did together online for when we went to nursing school. They only oh, took yeah. They took zero credits from the Coast Guard. Wow. Yeah, they only took actual college credits, which is just a shame because oh. we had co- I had 120 something college credits. They took 30. You want to hear something that's going to make you mad about that? Oh, here we go. So I. I stopped doing the nursing thing and I started going towards my bachelor's in business at Excelsior. Uh-huh. And so you were saying that they they didn't take any of your Coast Guard stuff. So Excelsior, I, I went to LAMS, you know, you know, remember LAMS? Leadership and management or whatever? Yeah, leadership management school. So through the Coast Guard, it's only like a three or four day course. Excelsior took that as an upper level business management class. So you got like a 300 or 400 level credit for three days. Yeah, three or four days of work. Nick, I have choice words for you. <laughs> I was like, I was like, wow, I'll take it. I mean, now I'm only five classes away from my bachelor's in business from them, but I haven't been to school with them in like two years. Well, it's tough when you're deployed, you know, like when yeah, you do like with no internet access. Yeah, there's like no way I can go to I can go back to school while I'm at this unit. Yeah, that's and that's what I liked about the air station. Like we were sitting there on a Friday afternoon, banging out nursing assignments, doing very little work for it. Yeah, I mean that's what that's, I was doing the same thing when I was in Port Arthur. Like when I was done with the work for the day, if I had uh, you know thirty minutes to spare, or, you know an hour to kill, you know that I was all caught up on my work, everything I needed to do, I would bang out you know a discussion post for a class. And, yeah. It's, uh, it's a different world out there now, unfortunately, with, uh, yeah, I mean, granted, that was just my school. They all, like, my school really screwed me over, too, because, like, when I left there, they said, like, I was going to go into their five-year PA program, where I was going to do my undergrad in three years and get my PA in two years. So I packed, yeah. up, I packed up from Florida, moved up here, started school, talked to my advisor, and she's like, what are you talking about? You have too many credits. We can't let you in that program. And I said, Okay don't take any of my credits and let me in that program. And she's like, no, we can't do that. And I'm like, so what do I do here? And she's like, well, just get your undergrad and apply to the master's program. And I was like, so now I'm going to be here six years and I'm going to have to apply to PA school, which I might not get into. And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. 
riddle me this. What's my chance of getting a PA school? She's like, less than 1%. And I said, okay, thanks for wasting my time. Thanks for letting me move up here to Philadelphia for absolutely no reason. Like, had I known this, I would have went to Alabama, went to PA school down there. This is insane. Yeah. That's ridiculous. So that happened to me. So that's when I was like, you know what? I'm just going to get my bachelor's. So I got my bachelor's in three years instead of four. And then I was like, I'll just apply to nursing school for an accelerated program. So I did that. So now I get two bachelor's degrees in four years, and I'll have my BSN out of it. Well, that's not bad. It's not bad. It's not the way I wanted to go. I wanted to be a PA. But I was like, you know what? It's absolutely insane that they screwed me over like this. They're not going to hold it up to me. Like, I even showed the emails that I got about it. And they're like, yeah, well, that dean is now gone, and there's nothing I can do because he left the school and during the summer that you came here. Wow. Like, oh, okay, thanks for screwing me over. And, like, I literally uprooted my life to come up here. Yeah. So, yeah, you got to be careful with that, too. So that's why I'm getting a nursing degree because PA school kind of didn't really work out for me. Yeah, no, you can make good money as a nurse. I mean, nursing is a good a good uh, job to have. I mean, hospitals run off nurses. That's true. Like, I just saw the news today, like, New York State or maybe New York City was uh, having a union, and they're making mandated uh, ratios so you can't have more than, like, two patients if you're in the ICU or four in the ER or things like that. And they have to give them a 30% increase in salary or something. And the nurses that are in – right now are really old, like they're baby boomers, they're retiring. So we're going to have a huge shortage in the next 10 years with all the nurses retiring. Yeah, so, that's for sure. I mean, I, I'm, I I'm hope I'm sitting pretty where I'm going to make some good money and doing something that I like doing, but uh, I guess time will tell if it was the right decision. Yeah, I'm sure it'll be fine, man. Nurses can make really good money and they do a bunch of good stuff for people, so I'm sure it'll work out. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, Nick, I want to thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. It was an absolute pleasure getting to sit here and uh, reminisce on our old times. Like I said, I feel like I'm back in the back deck of Clearwater uh, having a beer on a Friday with you. Uh, yeah, man. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And you're more than welcome to come back. And uh, if you want to talk more about how my, my new chip thing is wrong or whatever, please feel free. Let me know. And uh, you're more than welcome to come back, and we can shoot the shit anytime. All right, man. Have a good one. All right, man. It was a good pleasure talking with you. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.